Section 13 of The United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. The World's Story, Volume 12, The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 13. The Seven Cities of the Wilderness, by John Fisk. There was a tradition afloat in Europe that on the occasion of the conquest of the Spanish peninsula by the Arabs in the 8th century, a certain bishop of Lisbon took refuge upon an island, or group of islands, far out on the Sea of Darkness, and founded seven cities there. These seven cities were curiously transferred into the very heart of the American continent. Among the Nahuatl tribes there was a legend of Chicomostoc, or the Seven Caves, from which at some period in the past their ancestors issued. As soon as the Spaniards got hold of this legend, they contrived to mix up these seven caves with their seven cities. They were supposed to be somewhere to the northward, and when Cabeza de Vaca and his comrades had disclosed the existence of such a vast territory north of Mexico, it was resolved to search for the seven cities in that direction. The work was entrusted to Fray Marcos of Nizza, or Nice, as we call it now. He was a Franciscan monk of great ability, who had accompanied Pizarro on the first march to Cajamarca to meet Atahualpa. He had afterwards gone to Quito, and thence seems to have accompanied Alvarado on his return to Guatemala. He had lately found his way to Mexico, and was selected by the great viceroy Antonio de Mendoza to go and find the seven cities. He was attended on the journey by the negro Estevanico and a few Pima Indians, who had been educated at Mexico and their reception by the natives along the route was extremely hospitable. At Matape, an Indian village in Sonora, they heard definite news of a country situated thirty days' march to the northward, where there were seven large cities, quote, with houses of stone and lime, the smallest ones of two stories and a flat roof, and others of three and four stories, and that of the lord with five, all placed together in order and on the door-sills and lintels of the principal houses many figures of turquoise stones, and it was said that the people of these cities are very well clothed, etc. The name of the first of these cities was said to be Cibola, and after that time forth this became a common name for the group, and we hear much of the seven cities of Cibola. These were the seven pueblos of Zuni in New Mexico, of which six were still inhabited at the end of the 16th century. The name Cibola was properly applied to the group, as it referred to the whole extent of the territory occupied by the Zunis. The surviving pueblo, which we know today as Zuni, will probably serve as an excellent example of the pueblo towns visited by the Spaniards in their first wanderings in North America. As Fray Marcos drew near to it, he heard much of the power and glory of the Cibola, and began to feel that his most romantic anticipations were about to be verified. But now came his first misfortune on this journey, and it was a sharp one. Hitherto the white man and the black man had been treated with the reverence due to supernatural beings or to persons who at least were mighty wizards. But at Kyakima, the first of the Zuni Pueblos, the Negro's medicine was not accepted. Estevanico travelled some miles in advance of Fray Marcos. When he arrived at the first of the cities of Cibola, flaunting the turquoises and the handsome Indian girls with whom he had been presented in the course of the journey, much to the disgust of the Franciscan friar, the elders and chiefs of the pueblo would not grant him admittance. 
he was lodged in a small house outside the enclosure and was cautiously catechized when he announced himself as the envoy and forerunner of a white man sent by a mighty prince beyond the sky to instruct them in heavenly things the zuni elders were struck with a sense of incongruity how could black represent white or be the envoy and forerunner of white to the metaphysics of the middle status of barbarism the question wore a very uncanny look and to the common sense of the middle status of barbarism the self-complacent estevanico appeared to be simply a spy from some chieftain or tribe that wanted to conquer the zunis a cortes might easily have dealt with such a situation but most men would consider it very uncomfortable and so did poor silly little steve while the elders were debating whether they should do reverence to him as a wizard or butcher him as a spy he stole out of his lodging and sought safety in flight and this act being promptly detected robbed him of all dignity and sealed his fate a hue and cry went after him and an arrow soon found its way to his heart the news of this catastrophe checked the advance of fray marcos his indian comrades were discouraged and the most he could do was to keep them with him while he climbed a hill whence he could get a pixa side of the glories of cibola after he had accomplished this the party returned with all possible haste to culiacan and arrived there in august fifteen thirty nine after an absence of five months as an instance of the tenacious vitality of tradition and its substantial accuracy in dealing with a very simple and striking fact it is interesting to find that to this day the zunis remember the fate of estevanico in one of the folk days taken down by mr cushing from the lips of zuni priests it is said that quote, previous to the first coming of the mexicans the zuni indians call all the spanish-speaking people mexicans a black mexican made his appearance at the zuni village of Kekima. he was very greedy voracious and bold and the people killed him for it after his death the mexicans that is the spaniards made their appearance in numbers for the first time and made war upon the zunis conquering them in the end, end quote. End of section 13. This recording is in the public domain.